0: So we crown the monster energy king of brands, and in doing so, we may well have awoken a monster. Welcome to episode 70 of Bite Life. Let's go! Yes, to warm welcome everybody, this is episode 70 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on the summer Brands Hatch GP round of the British Superbike Championship as Josh Brooks moved into British Superbike Championship contention with his first two wins of 2018 and with it crowned himself the king of brands for another year. We'll talk about how he did it and whether he is genuinely now a legitimate championship challenger as we head into the late summer. Uh, we'll talk about other, the other big stories from this weekend as Glenn, Glenn Irwin also announced himself as a title challenger heading into the remainder of the season. Leon Haslam went winless for the first time since Easter. Um, and all the other big stories as the showdown picture starts to become a lot more clearer, although not for everybody, particularly if your name is Bradley Ray. Um, we'll also bring you the big news of the week, which also surrounds the British support championship leader Leon Haslam. He won't be racing in Britain uh, regularly next year. Uh, And we will look ahead to this weekend, and I know what you're thinking, there's no MotoGP, there is no World Superbikes, there is no BSB this weekend, but fear not, it's only the biggest single motorcycle race on earth this weekend. The Suzuka 8-hour brings the curtain down on the Endurance World Championship, and the Japanese manufacturers are breaking out the big guns for this one. Um, Joining me once again um, to look back uh, on what happened last weekend and look ahead to what's coming this weekend It's Andre Harrison. Welcome, Andre.
1: Welcome to the all-star game of bike races. And uh, it's a fun time for all involved. I hear Leon Haslam is favored to win the three-point shootout later this weekend. But uh, yeah, a great weekend of action in brands and probably the biggest individual bike race of the year now at Suzuka coming up this weekend. I have fully recovered from my awful German GP experience and normal service will definitely be resumed, probably.
0: Yeah, we've we've already had plenty of Monster Energy and general energy drink references already, but I think we're going to need plenty of it to get through uh, the early hours of Sunday morning um, and watch the 8-hour, which is live in its entirety um, across Eurosport. Um, But first of all, let's tell you about the various places you can find us. um, And that starts with Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. On YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. And a couple of things to see on there right now. And you can also find uh, the first of our watch parties for a historic Formula 1 race this week. Dre um, and selected others watched the 2005 Japanese Grand Prix. Um, so if, you, if you're a Kiwi fan, and I know there are some of you out there, you can uh, you can tune into that on our YouTube channel right now. Um, you can also find uh, a sneak preview, uh, if you haven't listened to the whole thing yet, uh, of episode 152 of Monospot 101, um, as Dre uh, vents his spleen on the current situation of Formula 1 fandom. Uh, more on that in a second um our website is motorsport101.com where you can find written content and all of the information about both of our weekly shows uh, and if you want to listen to those weekly shows earlier than everyone else uh, backing us on patreon will enable you to do that backing us at the five dollar level at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 will earn you early access to both of our weekly shows backing us at the ten dollar level will earn you access to the very discord server that we are recording on right now and will enable you to listen to these shows live as they happen Uh, As I mentioned, this week saw the recording of episode 152 uh, of Motorsport 101. Um, And I have to say, Dre, uh, I know this must have been a difficult one for you to record. And as I was watching um, bits of the German Grand Prix on Sunday, because I was at work at the time, um, I'd not convinced a friend of mine, more he'd taken it upon himself, based on what I'd said to him the night before, to place money on Sebastian Vettel to win the World Championship um, this year. Because I told him in the car as we went to play pool on the Saturday night, Lewis Hamilton is not winning the world championship this year. Sebastian Vettel is, um, so he so he went to put some money on it. Um, so that was at the forefront of my mind. But the other thing was in my mind when I saw Vettel buried to the wall is, God, what on i are
1: you going to say on the podcast this week? <laughs> oh, those, there's, there's the, I I got nothing for you on this one. Um, yeah, it's. <sighs> It wasn't an easy episode i'll say that much um i think that kind of it's kind of a given knowing where my where my allegiances lie um yes episode 152 just add water will be out by the time this goes out um in its entirety and yeah as you can imagine it was all centered around the german grand prix and arguably the most you know most Entertaining, batshit Grand Prix of the year, and there's been a few contenders for that already this season. Um, again, as I said on, on during the show itself, it's uh this F1 season has been, pardon me, surprisingly great so far. Um, genuinely five or six good to great races out of eleven so far. Um, and this was no exception. A race that look, and especially in the second half, had everything. Um, team orders, controversies on two separate occasions rain finally ranger in a race for the first time this season um as well and of course that wreaked havoc with the running order lewis hamilton very nearly getting you know a a, a time penalty um but could would have cost him the victory um as he you know failed to cross the pit entry line without going into the pit so that was another controversy in its own right so yeah this was a crazy race by by all accounts and it had just about everything you can imagine um, in it and we break it all down on, on Motorsport 101 from Lewis Hamilton somehow winning from 14th on the grid Sebastian Vettel and the curse of Hockenheim that he will seemingly never be able to lift um, no matter how hard he tries Valtteri Bottas given a team order not to challenge his teammate at the end um, Kimi Raikkonen given a team order from the lead to let his teammate through um it's all sorts of, of mayhem even brendan hartley getting in the points and charles Leclerc having a perfect pirouette it was a it was that sort of race weekend all of that on episode 152 available now for your listening pleasure and as mentioned as well on the youtube channel um our first watch party is up as well on the 2005 japanese grand prix one for you Raikkonen fans out there as well a very very fun time indeed three in my opinion some of the greatest overtakes you will ever see in that grand prix um a fantastic race well worth the rec- well worth the watch we'll be back next week for that with the 2012 Brazil Grand Prix oh, that man. title decider next week so that's another classic um some guy called Nico Hülkenberg very nearly won a grand prix more on that next week but uh, episode 152 available now for your listening pleasure
0: yeah don't talk about the guy that nearly won grand the grand prix trade right? talk about the guy that did win it uh, but his last Talk about
1: one... Jason Button more yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. I'm working on trying to get Dre to um, watch uh, the closing stages of the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix with me, but I'm having it having a difficult time with it um, at the do, moment. Do you, do you value our friendship, Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> I value Button's greatest ever wins, um, and I never <laughs> tire of watching that. Anyway, um, let's talk about bikes um, before um, before civil war breaks out on bike live. It usually happens when Bex is here. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, let's talk about Touch last weekend, the uh, the next round of the British Superbike Championship as they uh, head into the summer. And uh, we're getting into moving time, as we said last week uh, on this show, where showdown spots are starting to be decided. Um, and we're getting a much clearer picture of who are the likely contenders um, for the British Superbike Championship this season. Um, Leon Haslam, of course, went into the weekend with a comfortable championship lead. And, obviously, given how comfortable it was, he's still left with one. Um, but the weekend, Dre, belonged to Josh Brooks. Um, and he kind of teed this up at the start of the weekend that he was going to shave his moustache off if he did the double, which obviously must have, um, just at that point alone, he must have thought there was a chance of it for him to say such a thing. Um, mm. And Bold. so it proved a brilliant double victory. Not that either way was particularly comfortable, um, but as I said at the top of the show, it almost felt like a monster was waking up um, at Brands Axe last weekend because we've seen what Josh Brooks is capable of once he gets going in a British Superbike season. Um, and it looks like he and McCann's Yamaha, after steadily improving as the season's gone on, we saw signs of it, didn't we, a few rounds ago that they were getting a hang of it and they were
1: improving mm. that
0: R1. It looks like they finally put it together and it all clicked at brands.
1: Uh, shades of 2015 all over again, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it felt like to me watching that weekend take place. It, it's like uh, it's. I said on last week's show at the end, I felt like Josh Brooks would, had a really good chance of taking the double here. I had a hunch he, he would and did. Um, he's always gone well around here. He's, he loves Brands Hatch. He's He's, he's always gone well, especially around the Grand Prix layout. He's won several times there in the past. He was it was the first time, and he was at the tag team last year. That was the weekend where Brooks truly felt like he was a title contender for me. You know, running, for, you know, running and challenging Shaky and Haslam for the wins on both occasions, and then he crashed in one of the two races in the middle of the season there. But uh, yeah, Brooks was super. He's always been super strong around here, and yeah, McCam's getting better. It just seems that. Yeah, this was going to be the weekend where if, if McCams was going to make a footprint in this championship, it felt like this was going to be the weekend to do it. And yeah, both their riders rode very, very well indeed, but especially Brooks who held off Glenn Irwin on both occasions and, you know, did it very, very well indeed.
0: Yeah, Josh Brooks was keen to point out that, you know, a lot of people obviously wanted to point out the similarities between this and 2015, where his double win at Brands Hatch GP in 2015 were his first wins, of the entire season, um, and then he went on to win all but the all but three races in what remained of the season, and went on to win that championship the first time ever that the showdown hasn't even gone to the final round of the season uh, with Brooks wrapping it up around early. Um, so he was keen to point out that just because the same situation has happened this year with his first wins coming at Brands doesn't mean he's going to go on to dominate again um, this year. Um, but it is a really a, just a, a re- reflection of the format, isn't it, Dre? That even though Leon Haslam. Sits on 242 points um, and has some 112 points more than Josh Brooks at the moment. In terms of the outright championship as a whole going towards the end of the season, Josh Brooks suddenly does look every bit a genuine title contender. And, and I think it's a little bit different, isn't it, as well, with Jake Dixon, who also took his first win of the season. Uh, last time out at Knockhill, and we looked at Jake and thought, is this the start of a guy who's going to become a genuine title threat? late in the season with Josh Brooks. The difference is we know he can do
1: it. And let's not forget one important thing about the showdown format. What track did they race around three times at the end of the season?
0: Hmm, this one.
1: Brands Hatch. Um, and yeah, if he's if he's taken the double here, if he, I mean, he'll be thinking about the treble at the end of the season. And, you know, that could be 75 points and that could make all the difference in the world when we actually get to Brand's hatch at the end of the season and Haslam is a guy that tends to struggle a little bit around Brand's hatch and he's not had the easiest of times around there as well so yeah when you when you when you weigh it all up like that it's it, it it's something where I could see why MCn is you know goes out of its way um to you know, went out of its way this week to you know to hail tribute to, to Brooks and to you know pencil him in now as a title contender going forward. Um, it it's, it makes a lot of sense for him to do that because, like I said, the way the showdown format is a, a format that he's dominated in the past, and the fact it's 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 a signature round he's really good at, where you know he, he can win all three races there, and if he does that, then he he's bound to be a, a threat. You, you you put the pressure back on Haslam to basically hold hold par, which is something you know he tried to do last year and he just about failed on, unfortunately. Even before the breaks, even even before the brake failure, um, that was you know in race three. So yeah, I, I I get it. It it totally makes sense where that's concerned, where Brooks is being held as a title threat. Like I, I could certainly see it um, for sure. Hmm. And what's what's key as well is that the McCam's Yamaha team and Brooks
0: um, both seem to be improving as the year goes on. Uh, but if they keep that going, they're obviously they're not going to get any weaker from where they are now. They're going to continue to challenge at the front. And the important thing for Brooks now is to, he has to consider himself a title challenger. and I'm sure he does because he's probably, he is going to make the showdown the way he's going, even though sure. he's not mathematically certain at the moment. So the task for him now is to close down the podium points gap, which at the moment Haslam would go into the showdown where it to start now with a 22-point lead. And that would be over Jake Dixon, not over Brooks. Brooks would be a further five points back. So he'd be 27 off the lead, which is a race worth of points. Um, And I don't think anyone can afford to go into the showdown, no matter how good they are, a full race worth behind Haslam, because Haslam's probably going to be able to manage that through the showdown. Because You don't don't think Haslam's going to go through the showdown winless, do you? Um, No. You're going to have to close that gap before we get there. Um, But yeah, again, we we just, we just know with Brooks, don't we? What's what he's capable of in terms of taking a title before. And, just the general confidence that the guy has around him. I mean, Brooks has never been shy of an opinion, has he? Um no. in British superbikes or just in general on social media, but you just tend to get a swagger about him, don't you? When Josh Brooks is at his best and when Josh Brooks is confident, you notice it. It's you don't just notice it off the bike uh, on the bike, sorry, but you notice it off it. Um and a confident, dare I say it, not overconfident, but a very confident slash arrogant Josh Brooks is a he's a formidable adversary for anybody, isn't he?
1: He absolutely is. I mean, you you you, you hit hit the nail on the head for me. Like it's he's he's extremely charismatic. He's extremely opinionated. You know, you, 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 you can make the stereotype jokes about him, about him being Australian. You know, it, it's it's in his it's in his nature. He's very Australian, and you know he, he comes out he comes out with controversial things. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and you know he's 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 certainly not afraid of confidence. And and he is a rider that's very much based in confidence. If the bike struggles. Brooks tends to struggle. If the bike is clued in, Brooks is as good as anybody in BSB when the bike is working. And he reminds me a lot of Jorge Lorenzo in that sense. He's very much a confidence-based sort of rider. So when the bike is clicking, like we saw at Brands this weekend, he's incredibly hard to beat. Glenn Owen threw the house at him in both races and both times. Brooks was unassailable. He just could not find a way around it. Yeah, yeah. Like Brooks was flawless under pressure. And it's brand is, is, is it's it's a it's a circuit where there are certain overtaking opportunities, so yeah, like if Erwin like, threw the house at it, wasn't able to make it work. And yeah, like when when, Brook, when Brooks is, is, is plugged in, look out, he's a very, very hard man to
0: beat. Mm, he is, and he's moved up to fourth, as I mentioned, in the overall points at the moment, and yeah, with still let's count them up. There are still seven races to go before we decide our showdown six, but Brooks is up to 130 points. So you probably think he's going to need another, maybe another 40, 40, 40, 50 points, maybe to, to get
1: himself I, I in. Think, I think with Hazlin being so dominant, I think the bar comes down a little bit. I think 150 should be enough to get you over the line this hmm. time around. I reckon. But, uh, Which... but yeah, we reckon if he gets to sort of
0: 171, 180, he's guaranteed to be in. Oh God, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, so Brooks, uh, Brooks, another, another, perhaps another win or two will get him in. But, As I mentioned, I think Brooks has probably got bigger fish to fry than that. He wants to win the whole thing, and I think he needs to keep winning or at least keep racking up the podium points to ensure that he goes into the showdown uh, when he gets there with some sort of chance up against Haslam, uh, who's been so good uh, for much of the season. Uh, You mentioned Glenn Irwin, who um, is one spot ahead of Brooks in the the championship. He's on 145 points in third and also um, as good as certain to be in the showdown unless he gets injured. Um, between now and the end um, not quite the win um, that he was hoping for because he has won before he won in the wet last year um mm-hmm. Glenn Irwin but he it's his first ever double rostrum uh, on a British Superbike weekend and with every passing British Superbike weekend that goes by Dre we continue to sort of ask the question to ourselves is Erwin is ready to take on leadership of this b Ducati team in the absence of shaky bird and with every passing weekend he's answering the questions
1: he, he absolutely is. Yeah, I said this is the first double washroom and I think like the last two or three weekends he's shown that top fives are, are now a, an expectation for, for Glenn Irwin rather than just a, a a minor surprise. And again, for a rider that doesn't have a Wikipedia page, he's certainly riding mm-hmm. very, very well this season. Um again, like you know, both races a fraction behind Brooks over the line. He again he tried everything he could to get around Brooks in both races, just didn't have enough in him, but the Jacati's not going away. Glenn Owen is third in the championship for good reason. He he's been there or thereabouts almost every weekend, um, especially since Alton Park. I and mean, he's had a couple of, of of iffy races here and there. But you're, with, the, with the format we have right now, that's okay. That's absolutely fine. I mean, a few podium, a few more podium credits here or there really wouldn't hurt going into the showdown format because yeah, everybody swell, else around man. him. Yeah, the problem is with that because everybody else around him has wins. Bradley Ray has two wins. Josh Brooks now has two wins. Dixon has a win and went had five consecutive podium results, actually six consecutive podium results in yeah, the middle of the Glad season. Glad
0: he's had four podiums this year and they've all been second places.
1: Yeah, he's, he's been banging on the door for quite some time and he goes well around Brands as well. This year, um, you know, especially in race two, he was very strong around the Indy layout, very nearly beat Haslam and probably just showed his hand a little bit too early. Um on that one and just it just didn't quite work out but again like Irwin is now becoming a really really good all-rounder in this series now and hey if if shaky doesn't come back Ducati still has a very very solid overall team leader to build the team around going forward because Glenn Irwin is, is quickly becoming a guy who can win any given race in this series now
0: and he's also had something to celebrate last weekend he did take his first ever British Superbike pole position uh, last the weekend with, with an outright lap record um around the brand's gp circuit um as well of course it's the first ever pole that he's taken on a saturday because sometimes you can take a pole by setting the fastest lap in race one um uh, but in terms of a qualifying pole position that's the first figure i know and he says himself now he believes he can fight for the world fight for the British Superbike title now he says the target of brands was to close the podium points gap and we've done that now we can fight for wins um and he says of course it would have been lovely to get the win but we got our first poll, there are more than two people in this title fight and it's going to be close Um, and he believes he can fight for it Um, and the Ducati is clearly still a very very capable bike as he's proving at the moment in this championship and as i mentioned he's a very strong rider in the wet as well so if we get any wet races which the longer into the season we go the more likely they'll become
1: another, right? another confidence guy yeah
0: another confidence guy another charismatic guy he's uh once you can actually sort of work out what he's saying with the very strong ulster accent that he has <laughs> um he, he, he is a great he is a great guy to listen to um so Absolutely. Uh, so yeah he's uh he's gonna be a fun rider to watch as the season goes on because he says he doesn't have a confidence problem. Um, does Glenn Owen um, nor does um, Leon Haslam it has to be said who's been the nearest guy to him um, in the British Superbike Championship obviously well, basically the, no one's really been near to him in Championship terms this year but this is the first time really, that he's gone winless since the opening round at Donington in the snow where of course Bradley Ray did the double um, Leon Haslam pointed out after the race that he, was, he felt his bike his Kawasaki was losing out a lot to the Yamaha and the Ducati on the straights of Brands GP um, now it's far be it for Leon Haslam to be worried at one weekend where he doesn't wink. He still had two thirds, but surely the fact that we race around this circuit three more times at the end of the year—surely this is not a circuit where we will want that Kawasaki to have such a big deficit, is it?
1: No, it's not ideal. It's like I said, he this is a those head- credits. Yeah, like this is a triple header on the final round of the showdown, basically. So. Yeah, if you're going to have a shortfall, you wouldn't want to choose Brandt Hatch as the round to do it. So Let's put it that way because it's such a backbone part of the championship. Um, you know, even even the Indy layout, um, you know, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a it's the backbone of the championship. You don't want to have a bad Brandt Hatch block around here if you can help it. And, you know, he, he tends to go a lot stronger on the Indy layout, but the Grand Prix layout is when the flaws of the Kawasaki get exposed a little bit. So it's not ideal to say the least that uh, haslam seems to have a problem around it i mean don't get me wrong far from the end of the world he finished in third in both races like that's not a, it's not a crippler by any stretch it's still a couple of podium credits um you know it's it's still a very strong weekend overall um he'll take it I think I think it's the grand scheme of things here. I think it's the phrase I'd go with here. Mm-hmm. He still extended his, his championship lead in the regular season format. He's lost some podium credits to Brooks um, and to Irwin, which I, I mean I, I don't think he's going to lose too much sleep over that. But it's it's something that's going to probably you know be a cloud in his mind, especially given how last year played out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to want a bike that has that has problems around Brand's Hatch because it could come. Chances are it will go down to at least the penultimate race. Um, in the championship you'd think, given the podium press advantage has them is obviously still gonna be landslide favourite to win the championship, but you'd think like you know, if if you've got a shortfall and a triple header weekend, it does open the door for someone like Brooks to come in and sweep right at the end and you don't really want that if you can help it if Brooks is in contention.
0: No, for those that are wondering, um, when we're going to discuss the big, big news that Sir has Haslam, we'll discuss that in the news segment in a little bit. Um, but, uh, but in terms of his, his season at the moment, he pointed out um, after last weekend that uh, this has never been his best circuit. I mean, let's not forget that he had struggled on the uh, brands weekend last last season, the end of last season, before that break failure in the final race. He'd already lost a pretty sizable championship lead going into the first of those three week races that weekend. What he didn't he go into the race weekend with around 25 points, then have just two in his in his pocket going to that final race, um, given yep. that he'd already been uncompetitive in the first three races of that weekend. Um, yeah. So um. So yeah, it is a shortfall they're going to have to work on. He did say that it's never been his best circuit. We didn't have the pace to win this weekend, so it's something we'll need to look at before the showdown. As it's no good coming into the final three races here knowing my rivals are stronger. Um is that being said winning a title is about maximizing your stronger circuits and damage limitation at your weaker ones and I'd say two podiums is pretty good at a circuit where the Ducati and the Alha are clearly a bit stronger than us um, again all of that is well and good but when the points are near enough reset before the next visit to Brand, um you can limit the damage as much as you want the, the system's going to do damage itself by resetting the points to 500 when we get to the showdown so yeah even at this stage even with such a strong lead in the championship Kawasaki and Leon Haslam are far from infallible at the moment um, and they will want to uh, iron out those kinks before we get to the showdown um, with Haslam who's had six wins and you know, 10 podium finishes um, from the 12 races we've had so far, um, which is a pretty decent strike rate. Um, power circuit still to come as well before we get to the showdown. Thruxton, which is next, um, which is, as you're listening to this, around a week away uh, or the first weekend of August, same weekend as Bruno GP. Um, That is the fastest circuit in the country, Um, so if you're down on top-end speed there, you're going to struggle. So, uh, yeah, Haslam will want to try and make some gains with his Kawasaki before they go there. Um, Elsewhere, then, um, the two race results looked very, very similar, Um, and they were actually very, very similar races, even if you didn't watch them. Uh, The same top three, with uh, the victories going to Brooks, second's going to Irwin, third's going to Haslam. Both fourth places went to Jake Dixon, um, who just simply didn't have the pace to go with the front two, um, couldn't go with Haslam in race one, was able to just about keep Haslam in sight in the second race, but was unable to beat him. Um, and a decent enough weekend, I suppose, Dre, for Dixon in terms of his ultimate goal, which is to make the show. Now he's still second overall in the points. Um, but it's almost like the Olympics, isn't it? Where if you're gonna go well, there's no good finishing fourth because there's no no medals for the guy that finishes fourth. And for Jake Dixon, as good as it is, and he's gonna make the showdown anyway, no podium credits for finishing fourth, and that's really what he's after.
1: Yeah, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be the problem, and it it, it also marks a bigger problem for Dixon is that he's behind Haslam on the same bike. Mm. That's the problem here is that you know if Haslam is gonna have problems then there's a good chance some of those will be reciprocated in the Kawasaki, the, you know, the RAF reserves Kawasaki that Dixon's on as well. He um, showed, like, again, he was further behind in Haslam. That's the guy he wants to be beating week in, week out. If he wants to be thinking about winning the championship. Um, and he was behind him in both races again. And it's, it's something that he's going to have to work on and improve. I mean, yeah, it, it's a competitive enough series right now where He's going to be thinking about Glenn Irwin and Josh Brooks and Bradley Ray and maybe even to people like Christian Iden, for example. But like if you're thinking championship, your main target is going to be the guy on the same bike as you. And at the moment, that is Haslam. And he needs to start beating Haslam to really start putting a dent in the podium credit advantage. And also just to win the championship in general. Mm.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's got work to do. Um, as Dick said, I mean he's, he he would still go into the showdown. Works to start now second to Haslam, so he he has racked up podium points, but but yeah, the, the wins are still too infrequently still. And um, yet to answer the biggest question, I suppose, which is can he win somewhere other than Knockhill? Um, he hasn't done that yet, but he does sit fourth overall, and he's sorry, he sits second overall. He was fourth in both races at Brands last weekend, and he is as near as makes no difference, guaranteed to be in the showdown based on how many points it usually takes to get in. Um, jay dixon 162 is virtually certain already uh, of making the showdown josh brooks is fourth at the moment in the championship behind glennaro but when we come to the man in fifth um we have an interesting conundrum um because this is bradley ray um who's now fifth in the championship on 115 points only took three points um from Brands hatch gp was 13th in the first race and that was about as good as it was he was that was his, where he was on pure pace didn't score any points in the second race, and that wasn't because of a DNF. That was because on pure pace, he could only manage sixteenth um, in the second race at Brands GP. He's only scored fourteen points in the last six races, um, which is a major uh, shortfall. Of um, course, hasn't been on the podium since race one at Brands Indy back on the fourteenth and fifteenth of April. And it has to be said, Dre, and we never, we didn't think he would be saying this back at, at April. Bradley Ray, is he a genuine risk now of not even making the showdown altogether?
1: Well, let's let's be reasonable here. He has 115 points right now. The nearest non showdown rival right now, because Bucking is also now in the top six given he had two places this weekend. He's pushed Shaky out of the zone, which now makes it a little bit easier to look at how the showdown's starting to form because again, Shaky is not scoring points again this season. The nearest threat is Christian Iden. Christian Eden is in 8th place. He's on 88 points. So that means he is 37 points behind. No, no, 20, 27, which I should say. Sorry. That's is a bit slow today. 27 points. So, like, Eden would have to start getting back to, the you know, Eden would have to be something near his best, I think, where he's scoring championships. The gap was, the gap was 45 going into Brands. Good point. <laughs> a fifth and a sixth for ridden this weekend is is
0: good. Like points. A fifth and a sixth isn't that's that's not a big result. But if if Bradley Ray is going to continue to trade in DNFs and thirteenths, he's not going to make it in.
1: Yeah, he's he's only scored points in two out of his last six races. It's not it's not a good sign. It's it's signs that. Maybe, like, is something up with the build-based team in general? Is something going on here? Is, is been focusing on the A Tower? Is yeah. that it? I mean, I, I
0: mean, to ask another question, Dre, I I don't know whether you're going to ask it yourself, but, I mean, I keep looking at Bradley Ray, and I keep thinking to myself, I keep trying to remind myself the kid's 21. Did we simply right. expect too much too soon from him when he did that double at the start of the year?
1: Maybe we did. Maybe that's part of the problem. Um, it's it's I, I, I'm not sure um it's it's the old paradox of do you want to give too much endorsement to a young rider too soon yeah because you know it's it's very easy to get excited about young especially when you open the season like you did with such a brilliant double win he had at Donington, it, and especially coming off the end of last season where he was challenging for victories then as well it's it's, it's it was hard not to be emotionally invested in this because Again, like I said, the, the guys rode really well for the for the end of the last year in the showdown rounds and then the first round of this year. Has Suzuki been pegged back in terms of upgrades? Has the rest of the field caught up in terms yeah, of cause, development? Cause I, I don't
0: think it's a Suzuki problem because just look how well Richard Cooper went uh, on the other build yeah, bike at Brown well. Street. I mean, he finished, what, seventh in the first race and he was on the fringes of the podium battle when he went off in race two.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a Suzuka adjustment. Maybe because, again, the bikes at Suzuka are very different. And, again, more electronics and, you know, more resources. Tires as well. Yeah, exactly. Bridgestone size. It's more the World Superbike format than the BSB format, which, have, which run their own unique setup in terms of in terms of support and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, it's finicky, to say the least on this one. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's that. Maybe him having to adjust to... Uh, to, to to different to different bikes maybe that's been part of the problem maybe his mind's been focused on this 8 hour race and maybe not on the task at hand again maybe it's just the fact that he's 21 you know and that's that's something that it's easy to forget about, about about him as a talent um i'm not sure what it is exactly but um it's 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 not quite right here and yeah it's 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 not been- Helpful to say the least, and yeah, like right now, I wouldn't say he's at risk of losing his showdown spot just yet. We still have seven races to go between now and the showdown, more closing that's plenty of time for things to change. But as it stands right now, um, he's had a bad run of form and he needs to snap out of it quickly. Mm. I mean, it,
0: it's the brand's weekend that would worry me if I was a Bradley Ray fan, and he kind of hit touches on this himself after after the weekend, speaking to Ollie well, Rushby of MCN, where he says, um, he, he dispels the the theory that suzuka's having an issue or having an effect on him he says i've had enough time to come back and switch my braid off and get used to the pirellis again um which i mean just because he says that doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it genuinely isn't affecting him but he says so he says it's not a problem he says to be honest we've had this problem for a few rounds now even before i went to suzuka it's just got worse here this weekend while we've not been on the podium in the last three rounds we have still been quick but we can't even say that here so we need to put our heads together and make a plan, and that's exactly the point I would make. Is that at least when he wasn't scoring points at Snetterton, for instance, he was crashing from very, very strong positions. Um, so the pace was clear there, and wasn't he? Wasn't he on pole position at Snetterton as well? Um, Bradley Um So the pace was clear there, and he was, you know, knocking on the door of the top five at Knockhill as well. I mean, he was fifth in race one and then crashed out of fifth in race two. Um, so the pace was clear there, but the pace wasn't even there um, at Brands Hatch GP. So. Um, yeah, Thruxton may well tell us a lot uh, next weekend. Obviously, that will put the other side of his uh, exploits at Suzuka, and we'll get on that in a moment um, with Bradley Ray involved in that race. Thruxton may tell us a lot, and, and as, as I mentioned, we, we need to remember that this, this kid is still 21 years old. Uh, and, you know, 21-year-olds, t- you know, you, you maybe should, we shouldn't expect him to be the finished article just yet um, in British Superbikes. So, I mean, the fact that he could potentially still win this championship this season is still an incredible story. Um, and based on where he has been in his career and where he was even last year, for him to make the showdown full stop, if we'd have said at the start of the season, Bradley Ray makes the showdown, we'd say that's a terrific achievement. Um, and obviously what he did at the very start of the season at Donington has kind of blurred the blurred the lines a little bit and maybe maybe made us think that more was potentially on than it was. Um, but we shall see on Bradley Ray. He is still fifth at the moment and he is still in the showdown spot. Um as Dre mentioned a moment ago, the final spot at the moment is occupied by Danny Buchan, uh, who's in sixth spot. Uh, he has 111 points, so in terms of the next fully fit rider behind him, he has 23 points in his pocket over Christian Eden. Um, and when we look at what he did at Knock Hill, Dre, where he got that double podium, sometimes when riders do that, when they have a breakthrough weekend, sometimes there's a drop-off straight afterwards. But we can't really say that Danny Buchan had that. Um, he had two eighth-place finishes, and to me, he looks like he's doing exactly what Peter Hickman did last year. And stealthily, with regular point scores, he still scored in every single race this year. If he keeps that form up for the next seven races, I think Bucken makes it in.
1: I think he will. Um, he's he's going to make it very hard for him to take major points out of an advantage. Always, I think Bucken all he realistically has to do here is just keep his head screwed on, don't make any silly mistakes and just, you know, take the maximum that bike can give you at the moment and just find a way to do it. Um, cause the way he's going right now. Yeah. Why not? Like, why not think showdown spot? He's got a good amount of points in hand on Inden at the moment. And, uh, yeah. Like, why not? Why not think, why not think big? I mean, he, he's good enough. He's got more than enough ability. And if he can snap off a really good weekend, like Hickman did last year, all of a sudden, I think it was, his it was a Cadwell. Like, if he can do that, he's definitely going to be in. <laughs> so, He is. And, yeah. And,
0: yeah, I think I think when I look at the overall points, and obviously we look at the gap, and as we say at the moment, it's 23 between Buckingham and and uh, We think of that as a race worth of points. But in terms of where these guys tend to finish through the course of a year, it's probably more than that. It's probably one and a half or two races. You know, when... Christian Iden himself, who's as a class rider, make no mistake about it, but his best finish so far this year is a fifth place, which he equaled at branch DP. So when your best finish in a race all year is fifth and you're twenty three points back, it's he's essentially two races behind. Um yeah. Bucking, because Christian Iden's not going to suddenly win some of the next you know, five or next seven races and just blast his way into the top six. So I still think if, if Bucking can continue to average at sort of an eighth, seventh or eighth place every race, um, which is near enough what he's doing this season um what 111 points from 12 races that's about nine points around um mm-hmm. if he continues to average at that i think he's going to make it into the top six without any difficulty um it would take a, a freakishly good run from it and a laverty um a hickman uh, and a halloran to knock him out um so he's looking good at the moment um is is danny Bucking. he is safe at the moment in that top six um We've touched a little bit on Iden Dre. Christian Iden and Michael Laverty, who are the, running the Tyco BMs. They are both sort of on their best days, just about creeping to that top six. And both are having solid seasons. We mustn't forget once again that Christian Iden, much like he does every season, tends to miss a round or two through injury along the way, um, which Iden did earlier this season at Alton Park. Um, so they're having decent enough seasons in eighth and ninth overall. But as I mentioned, they don't neither of them seem to be on the verge of a run that's going to force them in do they
1: they don't know and like especially in the case of laverty who's had one podium for the year Iden has been here before he's been in this sort of ballpark territory before especially last season where it looked like he had a showdown spot in hand until we all know what happened at silverstone race three mm. um and uh you know the controversy regarding whether that race should have even happened in the first place quite frankly but it's been here before and i think Iden is is the more talented of the two bmw riders and i think that you know he has more upside and i think he's got a better chance of, of of tangling for podiums it's a bit more stacked at the top in bsb than i thought it was going to be this year especially with shaky not being around it's 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 still pretty loaded at the top so it's going to be hard to score podiums right now and I think there might be too many better riders in front of them to really do major damage to the championship um, as it stands. But uh, if I think if anyone can go on a run, I think it could be Christian Eden, who's always been a consistent top six level rider when he's healthy, when the bike is working. Um, so I, I, I would give him an outside chance, but he's got a lot of work to do between now and, and the showdown rounds. Yes, he
0: has. I mean, as I mentioned, there's no one... Uh, as, as Dre mentioned, Idens the likeliest bet to, to make a run at the showdown, but there is no one who seems to be particularly putting their hand up to to make a run. The, perhaps the riders we thought might be able to do that up, up until this weekend were the Honda riders of Dan Limfoot and Jason O'Halloran. Um, O'Halloran had a disastrous weekend in terms of his his points return of the weekend. He did finish both races, but 14th and 15th for him, so he only picked up three points from his two rounds. Um, whether he's still suffering from the injuries that he picked up at Imola in his world superbike outing um, we can only guess Dan Linfoot, who when he has been fully fit has produced some great results he had uh, a fourth and a third at the opening round then missed the next four races came back and had a fourth in race two at Snetterton um, then got injured again at Hatch GP, he got injured again um, where he high-sided out of the race high-sided early out of race one described it as the biggest crash of his career fractured his left scaphoid, and looks like he's going to face another couple of weeks out, including missing the a greater, which he was entered in um, for uh-huh. this weekend. Um, this certainly appears to be a team and a pair of riders Dre, that are just having zero luck this season, and
1: it looks like it's have
0: counted for any hope of making the showdown for either of them.
1: It looks that way. It's been it's it's it, this is almost a write-off year for Honda, purely through injury. They've been so unfortunate, you know, to have. Halloran take to, you know, take a dinger around the he wasn't even really supposed to be racing at, um, and then Linfoot again has had an awful crash at Clearways um, in race one again you, know, you know, did his footing real bad and again has now missed missed the Suzuki race hours of the biggest races of his career to date.
0: Yeah, because whenever they've uh, got two fully fit riders and two strong bikes out on the on the track, they've been quick.
1: Yeah, they've been right up there. Like, they've been, you know, both Linford and and O'Halloran have challenged for wins this year, like they always seem to do. When the Honda is clicking, the Fireblade is working, they're challenging for wins. They are more than good enough to do that. We saw it from Linford, especially last season, where he seemed to really turn a corner in the showdown rounds last year. You know, won a couple of races last season and, you know, really worked very, very hard to turn himself into a true, like, elite BSP-level rider again, and this season just through sheer bad luck it's just not worked out for either of them this year through injuries and just you know temperamental bike and it's it's just not worked overall no it hasn't
0: unfortunate for them um they will no doubt still look to pick up the odd win as we go into the second half of the season but a showdown spot now looks to be beyond them um let's run you through the results there from last weekend um bear with me they may sound very very similar race one went from went to brooks from Glen irwin by just two tenths of a second Haslam was third Dixon fourth and Iden fifth um, Pete Aikman sixth ahead of Richard Cooper Danny Bucken Andy Irwin and Michael Laverty in tenth the rest of the points went out to Chrissy Rouse best result for him so far Tommy Bridwell, who's back in BSB with the Motorpedo Ducati team who um, he replaced he replaced Taylor McKenzie with them. Uh, Brad Ray, 13th. O'Halloran, 14th. And Mason Law for the DWD 40 team in 15th position. Uh, race 2 went to Josh Brooks from Glen Irwin and Leon Haslam once again. Dixon fourth again. Uh, Taz McKenzie, fifth. More on him in a second. Christian Iden sixth. Um, Tommy Bridewell, seventh. Danny Buck in eighth. James Ellison, uh, who had mechanical problems on his uh, Amelhaya tag Yamaha in ninth. Just seems whichever Yamaha team Ellison rides for, that bike goes pop. Um, he was 9th. Peter Hickman 10th on the BM, uh, with Mike Laverty 11th, Andy Owen 12th, Luke Mossy, who was quick through practice and qualifying, but it kind of went wrong for him on race day, 13th, Uh, having crashed in race 1, Chrissy Rouse 14th, and Jason O'Halloran 15th, beating Bradley Ray to the final point. Uh, Before we come on to the championship standings though, Dre, we we should mention Taron McKenzie, really. Second of the McCams Yamahas. Mm. Um, And his weekend was kind of a, a reflection of how much progress the team appears to be making, but um, this is a rider who, we shouldn't forget, is a British Superbike rookie uh, at the moment. Yeah. At, a at a difficult 2017, of course, he was you know, dominating the British Super, Super Sport Championship once again. Then he took the uh, the very brave decision to try and fill Danny Kent's shoes at the Moto 2 team, um, where he was really on a hiding to nothing. Um, and he's been steadily learning through this British Superbike season and when you look at his results they've been steadily improving and improving and improving fifth at Brands in the race 2 was his career best and it's it's not going too far to say that before he lost control in race 1 he was knocking on the door of a rostrum
1: that looked like a podium to me that really did look like a podium for Taron McKenzie it just fell away on the penultimate lap his down was in it was in the back and he was absolutely devastated you could see um just how close he was and just how unlucky that felt um, yeah, like again, as you say, it's it's more a reflection on the team because you know Taron is a rookie. He has struggled at times. He, like you expect all rookies to in in, in this championship. It's hard. To, it's hard to you know get your get your foot in the door. But he's had some good results. He's been hovering around the top ten for most of the season. You know, had that sixth earlier in the year as well at Snedecorson. So he's showing he's capable. The talent is more than there with this kid. Um, and yeah like this was the most consistent i think he's looked on a bsp bike all weekend he was he qualified well he raced he he raced well the race pace was there his, his his race craft was was solid yeah he was he was not afraid to mix it up with championship leader Haslam and other riders like that on occasion he he was riding very very well all weekend long it's a real shame about the accident there that you know, it doesn't really reflect how well he how well he rode all seasons. So props to McCams for getting good results out of both their riders and just the improvement for, for Taron as, um, as as the season's gone on.
0: Mm, yeah, the, it looks like it's going to come too late for him to have any kind of hope of the showdown, McKenzie. He's on 47 points um, at the moment. So he trails the sixth rider in the uh, top six, Danny Buchan, um, by 64 points, which with seven races to go, he's going to struggle to make up that many points in seven races. Um, but he may well be a, an interesting sort of rear gunner for Brooks. He might be quite a quite a joker card for the McCamers team to play later in the season if he continues to improve at this rate. Um, so we'll follow his progress uh, with interest. Championship standings then, here's how they look at the moment. Um, Haslam leads it on 242 points from Jake Dixon on 162. Um, so it's an 80-point lead for Haslam at the moment. Uh, Glenn Irwin trails Dixon by 17 in third. Josh Brooks is in fourth on 130 points. Brad Ray, 5th on 115, and Danny Bucket, 6th on 111. Outside the top six, Shaky Byrne is 7th on 98, Christian Iden is 8th on 88, ahead of Michael Laverty, 9th on 78, and Pig Tibbeton, 10th on 68. Um, As far as the uh, podium points are, I could say, which affects the showdown, of course, uh, when we get to September uh, and the first round of the showdown at Alton Park, Leon Haslam has 38, uh, so he would be 22 clear at the moment of Jake Dixon, who's next up on 16. Um Bradley Ray, if he makes it, would be third. He's on 13 podium points, 10 of which he got um at the very first round, the other three he got at the third race of the year. Um we have uh Glenn Owen on twelve, Brooks on eleven, um, and uh Shaky Byrne of course on nine, but we won't see him for the rest of the year. Outside of that, in terms of podium points, um we have uh Jason O'Halloran who has four, but he's unlikely to make the showdown. Um, Sixth at the moment, Danny Buchan, who's likely to make the showdown. He only has two podium points, so if he's to have any hope later in the year, he needs to add to that. Um, And we have three other riders uh, who have just one podium point based on their one step on the podium. So far this season, they are James Ellison, uh, or James Ellison counts himself among those. Michael Laverty's another. um, But um, they are unlikely to make the showdown themselves either. Dan Linford, of course, being the other one who got his podium at the very first weekend of the season. Um, Next round of the British Superbike Championship comes... Um, as you're listening to this in around about a week's time it is on the first weekend of August um, and it is that the fastest circuit on the calendar, it is Thruxton, uh, that comes on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of August To the news, and there is not a lot of it, as you can imagine, because both MotoGP and World Superbikes are on their summer break. Um, but we have some good news to bring you from British Superbikes, because I'm sure you're all aware of the uh, situation surrounding Shaky Burn. We discuss him a lot on this show, and it usually follows with the words, but he's injured and won't race for the rest of the season. Um, now, you all know the circumstances surrounding Shaky Burn's injury, but, Trey, we've had good news this week surrounding um, the... Greatest rider in the history of British Superbikes because the uh, the halo that he's been wearing ever since that terrible near near paralysing accident that he suffered earlier in the season has finally been removed. from Shaky's head, so well, the first big hurdle of Shaky's road to recovery has been overcome.
1: Yeah, the halo was come off. Um, good to good to see. Talked about it on Instagram earlier this week, and you know you you could tell it meant a lot to him to you know, just to make just to make it this far. Um, you know, in terms of his recovery. I mean, he also said, we are still a long, long way away before we're able to have any sort of conversation about Shaky getting on a bike again and and, and racing on it. But um, in terms of just a human being from a quality of life standpoint, it's great to see Shaky make progress. I mean, the the, the, the big halo has come off. He's in another neck brace now for another three months um, until the end of August. And then we'll have to to go from there and see how how his neck is healing and uh, basically go from there, basically. But he said even just to have a shower without the halo device on his head yeah. for the first time in several months was a was a luxury. So you could kind of tell just how far, um, or just how just how much this injury has ravaged his quality of life in the in in the short term. So great to see that you know Shaky is on is on the mend slowly, and you know they've genuinely made some progress.
0: Yeah, I was going to make that very point in terms of his quality of life. I'll first of all read you the uh, the full. Instagram post with shaky burn, which was the first image we saw of him uh, without the halo on his head with simply the neck brace He says so there you have it. The halo is off far from the end of the road though It's the start of the next episode the neck is literally just starting to show signs of bone growth I'm going to be in this brace now until the end of August back for another scan then hopefully start physio to try and get some movement I'll have another CT scan at six months to see if there's any more progress Uh, bone growth wise then in nine months I should hopefully be able to have all the metal work removed from my spine Long road ahead, but a nice step made today. I can't even begin to tell you how good the 20-odd minute shower I just had felt. Um, which is great. And and the outpouring, I mean, the first few comments you can see on the Instagram poster from Loris Baz and Jonathan Ray, both uh, sending their support. And, you know, he is, as we've said before, such a popular rider, just in, not just in British superbikes, but just in motorsport, motorcycle racing. Everyone likes shaky burn for good reason. Uh, yeah. He's one of the ultimate good guys in our sport. Um, but, but as you say, just the pure quality of life. I mean, it's... It's easy for us to just sit here and imagine, but just purely looking at him last weekend and looking at him whenever we've seen him on TV, Dre, and um, with that halo still on his head, and um, you know, still the fact that anytime he wants to sort of turn to speak to someone, he has to turn his whole body rather than being able to simply turn his head, which is something we just yeah. should be take for granted. And you know, right. as he as he says in that Instagram post, um, he's not going to be able; he's still going to have this neck brace on until the end of August, and then hopefully, try to get some movement. So it's going to be another at least another month or two before you could even encounter some movement. That's something we just take for granted, but just being able to turn your head without actually having to turn your entire body, just imagine how that must be just purely to live with um, and how frustrating that must be to live with and how, how just difficult that must be to try and get your head around, no pun intended, um, mm. with shaky burn. And... What amazes me with this guy, and I know we only see him for the times we see him on TV, so I'm sure there have been some dark moments for him, but just how positive the guy still maintains. He still seems to have that, that sort of permanent smile on his face. I defy anyone to have gone through what he's gone through. And he, again, he explained to in this Instagram post that he's still going to have metalwork in his spine for another nine months. Yet right. the guy continues to still go through life with permanently just this amazing positivity, which I just wouldn't be able to have myself.
1: Yeah, if, if I couldn't turn my head for the best part of a year, I, I would have no idea how much that would mess me up. Or like you know, or like banging your head on a bus or something, or you know, you know, just taking a shower or even removing your clothes is going to be difficult. Like that, that's something that would drain me mentally. So for the fact that shaky was out of out of major surgery and was cracking jokes within mere hours of being able to get his phone back um his his positive mental attitude is inspiring and nothing short of a walking miracle um you know given you know given how well he played uh will go go given how they played, but also not only given how much of of a stress and a burden it's been um he's incredible for that. And it, like every Instagram post, I see him. He's smiling. Every interview he's taken when he's, when he's still come back for his punditry gigs on world super blacks with Matt Roberts and, and Leon Haslam in the Eurosport booth for when he's like, I watched him this afternoon on ITV's highlights of the BSB round with Greg Haynes. And, and again, always smiling, always in positive spirits joke. If anything, joking about his situation about how, you know, if I can't come back. I have to be stuck doing this. Then there's a pundit instead. And, You know, like, have you seen
0: the one one on his Instagram of um, as he as he captions it "full factory titanium and ceramic rods"? Um, (laughs) I mean, just I mean, again, the positivity, the positivity, but again, just just try and put put this into your mind. That's the kind of metal work that's in his body. Uh, at the moment that, to try and, that's ridiculous. To try and put him back together and and uh the other the other funny one which was of a, of a specially made chair for him um, obviously given the way he obviously has to sit at the moment um they made a chair for him which has a, a piece of paper in which reads shaky only underlined um shaky yep. captions it's some full factory support from eurosport for me here at Brads, um <laughs> which again just just the, the positivity is showing and um you know, his latest caption is that the halo's removed, and he has the caption where he says, that uncomfortable moment, lol, you're making my armpits sweat. Uh, <laughs> which is brilliant. I mean, that's what he says. What an inspiration the guy is. Just to, how he's dealing with this whole thing is, is just inspiring. Um, and it, it almost just pales into insignificance, the question of, is he going to race again? Because that's that, near enough, doesn't matter at the moment. Just can he regain that quality of life that he's been searching for um, at the moment would be good enough. Um, but the way he's handling the whole thing is incredible and um, you know, we take our hats off to shaky Byrne, and we continue to wish him the, all the very best as his recovery Absolutely. steps up a notch and uh yeah, he can then regain that quality of life. And hopefully, come uh, the end of August, he may well have to have the neck brace removed as well. We shall see. Of course, we'll uh, update you on his progress as it goes along. But yeah, follow him on Instagram for uh, for all the updates on that. He is a great follower. Actually, 67shaky is his Instagram that's user name. 67shaky, Yeah. And uh, yeah, he is an inspiring human being to be going through all of this at the age of 41. Uh, it's incredible. Um, the biggest news, really, that's broken this week, and really the only news that's broken this week... Um, it was a big one. It, again, surrounds a British superbike uh, hero in Leon Haslam who, of course, encountered his own injury nightmare at the end of last year uh, when he lost the title to Shaky Burn at Um If he loses the title at the end of this year, he won't have a chance to go for it again next year, but he's got a very good excuse for that um, because he's going to be competing for the World Championship instead. Um, yep. He's uh, He has signed for the KRT Kawasaki official team uh, in World Superbike, so he will be replacing Tom Sykes at the factory Kawasaki team alongside Jonathan Rea. Um and first of all, Trey, before we say anything else, um what a great story this is for Leon Haslam, who when he left the British the World Superbike Championship, when he left the uh then the Honda team to go to the British Superbike Championship, sorry, he left the Red Bull, Red Bull, uh, the Red Red Devils, Roma, a prettier team, didn't he? Uh, to go to uh, British Superbike. So we kind of thought that this was Leon Haslam winding down and hopefully he could win a British Superbike Championship before he goes, but he's forced his way back into the Premier team in World Superbike Championships, which says a lot for Leon Haslam and the quality of a rider he is.
1: Yeah, like Leon Haslam is world class. He has been world class for a long, long time. And this is a guy that's kind of been overlooked in many a series for other, maybe more exciting, you know, more younger talents. And, you know, it, it's understandable. That's the way bike racing is. It's, it's shifted in the last five, six years you know, towards more of the, you know, the younger, extremely talented junior class rider and whatnot. Um... I get that. I don't understand that. But Haslam is a world-class rider, and he he was winning races on that Aprilia. Something that Aprilia now at Milwaukee would be dying for. Um, I mean, world superbikes to have them challenged for wins like that. Haslam is is world-class. He's he's a he's a consummate professional. Um, he's he's an excellent rider. He's a real, truly grafty sort of rider as well. We saw at the Suzuka last year. Just how just how hard he was willing to try to win that race, effectively on his own, um, <laughs> trying to win the Suzuka 8 Hours. And, you know, of course, you know, you know, this season in BSB, uh, it probably there's wouldn't There's no question that
0: that effort for Kawasaki has played a part in this yeah. decision.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Him and a combined of his BSB form at the moment, which is, again, the best run of his career so far, without a question. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where that that, that that had to be nothing short of impressive um and yeah he's, he's he's been brilliant the last year in bike racing now and you know he's been gifted a a, a chance of a lifetime now to join the krt racing team you know the the, the, the excellent kawasaki team you know, the other team that has jonathan ray on it you know probably will be four-time world champion by the time we get to 2019 and what's a golden chance he now has to win a championship at the, at the world superbike level alongside jonathan and um it's a wonderful opportunity for a, a real grafter, a real hard worker and a real tough riders rider in haslem so i'm delighted that he's been given this opportunity it may not be the sexiest pick in the world but it i mean look you, you you've got a good chance of having the reigning world and domestic british superbike champions on your team for next year, that, that's something you can't pass up. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity, and yeah, it's a, it's a, what's a wonderful looking team when you look at it. My mm. God, Jonathan Ray and Leon Haslam yeah, together. They, that, they, every chatbot points out in the chat. B from Ely doesn't hurt. <laughs>
0: I'm referring to Leon Haslam. Um, we who, West London guys are tough, <laughs> yeah, and um, and Haslam, who's uh, just to pick up on what Dre mentioned, with him perhaps not being the sexy pick. He's thirty five, Leon Haslam, at the moment, so uh, it's very rare that you force your way back into the World Superbike paddock at that age, unless you're perhaps coming down from MotoGP, for instance. Um, so um, it, it's a measure of what Leon Haslam's been doing um, in British Superbikes and just in general for Kawasaki um, to earn this ride, um, without sounding disrespectful to Leon Haslam Um, because yeah again uh, oh, but um, whether you could argue we could argue until the cows come home whether he's as good a rider pound for pound as Tom Sykes Um, but is Mm. as much uh, a reason for Leon Haslam getting this ride Dre with all due respect the fact that it is personality that's him this ride Mm. and the fact that he's going to slot in seamlessly alongside Jonathan Ray and not rock the boat too much
1: yeah probably I mean Ultimately, you are a team at the end of the day, and it's not going to be a fun experience coming to work every day when one rider isn't in the current outfit. I mean, stay what you will about Tom Sykes, but he didn't exactly help his case when he when he had that scathing Eurosport interview. No. He probably he probably burned any bridge he had left of Kawasaki at that point. And, you know what, maybe he was frustrated, and I understand why he did it, but, you know... You, your team is going to get rid of you for that. When one, your performances aren't good enough and 2 you're coming out and basically criticizing the team openly so the world can hear it. And your team wasn't even clued in that you were going to do that. Like, like Sykes pretty much sealed his own fate within his own team by doing that in the first place for better or worse. Um, So yeah, absolutely. From a team dynamic standpoint, why not get Haslam? Who is again, is a, a real pros pro has never really stepped out of line. He's not afraid to speak his mind, but at the same time, he's also, he doesn't, he doesn't rock the boat. And that is a, a a big part of it with, you know, with Haslam as a rider and as as a, as a human being, he's not that sort of guy. He's not outspoken like that. He's not going to go out of his way to upset people. Um, So yeah, it helps. It certainly helps personality wise when you're going to have a guy that's going to come in and just basically just stay the ship a little bit. I don't, I don't have Jonathan Ray as a sort of guy that's going to, you know, upset the apple cart. And even if he did, who cares when he's winning that much. So for me, yeah, they get along very well. They're good mates. And I'm sure, you know, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to get along. No, absolutely not. They'll, they'll get on just fine
0: um, in World of Superbikes. But again, and again, I don't want to make this sound like I'm trying to take anything away from Leon Haslam's big opportunity with Kawasaki. But um. One of the questions that initially came up, and it came up in our very own Discord server, was, is Leon Haslam essentially going to be a stopgap until top-racker Asgatioglu is ready um, for the Factory Kawasaki team? And again, Dre, with all due respect to Leon Haslam, is that kind of what he is?
1: Well, he's 35. I mean, how long do you expect him to stay at this ultimate level? I mean, I mean, if he's winning next best... year, he's, he's going to be a very hard rider to drop. Exactly. That's, that's going to be the problem. It's like Haslam... Haslam's is betting against himself. I don't know whether it's a one or a two year deal. I know Haslam was pushing for two years for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, um, if you can get a two year deal in that team at that age, then by all means do it. But but most racing teams go into what I, what I like to call the bet against yourself mode, like like like, like we've seen in F one in the past with guys like Kimi Raikkonen or Valtteri Bottas, who they get they get these one plus one deals where it's like you get a year. And if the team likes you, they'll give you another. Year. It's the rolling one-year contract. Mark Webber had that too when he was at Red Bull Racing. Same deal. It, it just it makes your team easier to manage. And you're basically encouraging your rider to bet against himself that he's going to be good enough to keep getting these opportunities. Again, no guarantees on that. But, yeah, I, I don't blame Kawasaki for doing that because ultimately he's 35 years old and there's no guarantee Hazen can keep going at this sort of level forever. And they have an extremely talented 21-year-old Turkish rider for the Pachetti team, waiting in the wings, ready to go. Um, if you're Kawasaki, you're golden right yeah. now. Like you've you've got this all figured out. You've got the five-year plan ready to go. Don't get me wrong. Like I don't think there's a hurry to put Toprak in that seat. No. I mean, he's. I, I think I think Toprak is a, a very good talent, but I think he's still got a bit more development to go through as a rider before I would say he's confident of being ready for you know the the, the KRT team seat properly. But, in the meantime, having a quality rider like Haslam, who's got experience in this series before, as a race winner in World Superbikes before, can't hurt. Oh,
0: absolutely. And uh, congratulations to Haslam. We wish him all the very best of luck. absolutely. Um, With Kawasaki next season. A A real good guy. um, A real good guy. One of the good guys. And yeah, I think it would be great for, for the sport as well. Not just for the sport, but for British motorcycle sport, if he can go there as the British champion. It would be a great story as well for Kawasaki Racing Team next year to have the reigning world champion and the reigning British Superbike champion in the same team would be a fantastic story. Um, as far as Ducati are concerned, their second seat is still yet to be filled. Well, actually, both seats technically haven't been filled yet because Chas Davies hasn't come pen to paper yet, but we're expecting him to do so. Um, I do wonder how happy Dawn will be if the, uh, the four riders on the four Premier Bikes next season, potentially, with all due respect to Yamaha, um, are going to be... For British riders, essentially, if if Eugene Laverty gets the second Ducati seat, um, just what Dawn I want? Um, but, hey, we, but we we shall see. see. We <laughs> shall see, because we'll update you about that um, as it goes. Speaking of Ducati, um, they had their own essentially their own kind of fun fair last weekend at Misano, as uh, the uh, Ducati Day of Champions took place. Uh, yeah. The race of champions took place on the Sunday. Um, now um, it's it's the one other race that we can actually bring you a result off from last weekend. Um, that and the uh, British Speedway GP, which Bex is uh, slowly trying to recover from. We'll tell you about that in a second. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the Ducati Race of Champions, here's how it finished. They all raced on um, identical uh, V4 Panigatis. Of course, all painted up in their different paint jobs based on which championship they were racing in. So, of course, the uh, Aruba Ducatis had their Aruba liveries, the... In fact, GP Ducati's had their MotoGP liveries, the Pramac GP liveries, the Avinti liveries, and so on. Um, we'll give you the result in reverse order. Troy Bayliss, um, understandably, I suppose, given that he's 49, was 12th uh, was um, oh. in this race. Um, oh, all 12, oh, all 12 of these bikes, by the way, are on eBay um, until well until 5pm on Saturdays. So by the time you hear this, they might have oh, closed. Wow. Um, but you can't actually bid for these bikes. Uh, I'd love to see well actually we'll try and find this how um, how much they're going for at the moment as we record this. But yeah. Troy Bayliss 12th, um on his Panagali. 11th was Carol Abraham, um who was on the uh the, the Nieto, called the Angel Nieto Aspar MotoGP GP bike. Tenth was Jorge Lorenzo, um on his Ducati, obviously his uh Ducati factory MotoGP GP liveried bike. Um ninth, just ahead of him, uh was Danilo Petrucci. Uh, eighth, Xavier Simeon, who was um, oh, of course is the uh, least heralded, perhaps, of the edge Cathy GP riders at the moment. Seventh, Andrea De Vizioso. Um, sixth, Michael Rubin-Rinaldi, who of course is the uh, European-based um, mot- uh, World Superbike rider for the uh, Aruba team. Fifth, Marco Junior, Malandri, uh, who of course has won at Misano in World Superbikes just last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth... Uh, just ahead of him was Jack Miller, of course, the Pramac GP rider. Third, Xavi Forrest for the Barney team. Um, second, Tito Rabat, um, of course, is the Vinci team. And the winner, and we're happy for this, even though it's not a competitive victory, but given the season he's had, and given the last time we saw him on a factory Ducati, he was being catapulted through the air at 220 miles an hour at Mugello. The race winner, Dre, our favourite policeman,
1: Michele Pirro. Whoop, whoop, it's the sound of the police. The um, yeah, I'm here for all of this. Winner. Yes, McKaylie Pirro, our favourite policeman. What a boy! Um, yeah, that I did for him. That's awesome. Um, again, that, like, that's a lot of really, really good riders in there. McKay- yeah. Piro, all
0: McKay- identical V4 Panigale Ducatis. Uh,
1: like, like someone give this man a job, please. Okay, like he's really good at bike racing. Okay, like really good, and he wants to race. So somebody let him race. I love McKaylie Pirro. Give that man a chance already.
0: Yeah, give the, give that guy a ride. I'm a full time ride. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to find it on eBay. We're going to try and find some of these uh, some of these Ducatis, given that we're not going to no be so show. Uh, they may be on the uh, the Italian eBay site, uh, but we'll uh, we'll try and find that out for you before we go on this uh, this show. Because uh, last time I checked, Troy Bayliss's Ducati was the one that was going for the least amount of money, but it was still up in five figures, um, as you can imagine, and it's probably like the mod people
1: pay more money for Troy Bayliss's bike.
0: Yeah, but the bullshit. guy is the guy is there's a, a motorcycle racing legend and a Ducati legend, of course, at that.
1: I demand people open their wallets for Troy Bayliss. What's wrong with you people? Yeah, yeah the guy, the guy I'm is absolutely
0: all heroes. of you. Um, so, um, so yeah, we'll just uh, as as we're talking, I'll just uh, Google it on uh, the uh, Ducati on the sorry the Italian eBay. Yeah, no, look, we'll try and find this before we go before the end of the show. Uh, but yeah, those bikes are going for quite a lot of money. Um, at the moment, um, speaking of superbikes worth a lot of money, um, let's look ahead to this weekend um, and the biggest motorcycle race on the planet. Um, and before we go any further, Dre, are we going overboard by calling it that? I mean, MotoGP has got a lot of incredibly prestigious races, but you wouldn't say any of those races are particularly on a, the level of a Monaco or a Le Mans or an Indianapolis. That you, you can't really argue that there is one of those in MotoGP. So the closest that motorcycle racing, I suppose, has to a Monaco, an Indy five hundred, a Lamar in twenty-four hours. Probably is the Suzuka A Tower.
1: Yeah, it probably is, especially given that now these factories really, really, really want to win this one. So much so that the the actual world endurance championship that these guys are racing in almost takes a back seat in fact it pretty much does take a back seat. Um to this um this, this headline event it's, it's Suzuka um now so yeah the way i see it this is one of the headline races of the year and quite rightly so i mean a lot i mean as i said before for some time this is this is basically the all-star game for bikes and that's what it feels like when you've got moto gp bsb world Superbikes bikes all being represented on on several levels so um yeah it looks fantastic so um, i'm really looking forward to this mm, yeah it's gonna be a terrific race um quickly,
0: um, I'll give you, just coming back to what we were talking about a moment ago, I could give you an update from the last time um, this was covered in the news on these Ducatis. Um, the, uh, oh, yeah. Troy Bailey's bike, since uh, since we found out earlier the week, it's actually attracting the maximum number of bids so far. Uh, oh, wow. Bike, so it has actually become the most bidded for a bike. 120,000 euros it was going for last time it was updated. Ooh, um, nice. the, this is by the way, just to give you the full details of this. All these twelve bikes that were raced on the Sunday in this race of champions are up for sale, um, with the uh, Akrapovich pipes, the race bodywork, and the colours of each rider, as well as the riders' race settings that they ran on that bike. Basically, it, oh, is, wow. exactly, it is exactly as it raced that you can bid for these it's bikes.
1: Identical. Wow.
0: Yeah. So, um, so Beilis was going at 120,000 euros at last check. Um, bids for the bike using by used by Andrejovićio so stopped at 45,100 euros. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo's went at €41,500. Um, and, of course, these bikes are still on up for auction until Saturday, July 28th, so it's quite likely that the price is going to go up even further. But that's a little bit of an
1: update on to uh, but, what they were going for. But, but Troy's going for €120,000 now. Yeah. <laughs> see? You see? You, 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 put the, you put the signal out there and people start bidding. I'll take the full credit for this one. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, unfortunately, our Patreon backing doesn't quite allow us to purchase... Um, he doesn't even allow us to pay attention to Xavier Simeon's Ducati just yet. God um, damn it! So, um, so yeah, maybe next year. Uh but, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to buy Xavier
1: Simeon's V4 pad of garlic. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make uh, this happen, uh, people. Yeah. We'll put well, in well, the back garden.
0: Well, Xavier Simeon did run number 10, so we could just stick her another one on the end of it and have it one or one. Yeah! Yeah, um, sorted! Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, back to Suzuka, then, uh, which yeah. actually doesn't feature any Ducatis, remarkably. Uh, it, it's, it's a race, obviously, that's particularly... Um, particularly focused on by the uh, Japanese manufacturers um, who take this race phenomenally seriously, Dre. I mean, we we just need to look at recent years and the way that Yamaha have taken this seriously. I mean, we've seen Yamaha employ MotoGP riders like Bradley Smith and Paul Spargo when they won it for the first time um, three years ago. We've seen <laughs> Honda roll out the likes of Casey Stoner, no less. Um, to take part in this race. Of course, it does take place within the confines of a World Championship, and we'll talk about that briefly in a bit, because unfortunately, the Endurance World Championship, of which is this is the finale, kind of takes a backseat to the overall race itself. Um, but we cannot stress um, strongly enough how seriously the Japanese factories like Yamaha, Honda, Suzuki, etc., and Kawasaki, of course, how seriously
1: they take this. Absolutely, they... They they really do want to win this one. I mean, and it's been an upturn in the last few years when Honda's dropping in dudes like Casey Stoner, and as 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 the last few years have gone, and we've seen a real resurgence of just factory sending like their 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 A game riders down there, um, trying to sort this out. Like again, we've seen Honda send you know. Casey Stoner in the past and now they're sending Takanakagami. They had Leon Kamiya down here for this, um, replaced by PJ Jacobson. Yamaha for the last three or four years are sent at least, you know, their world superbike guys down there, Alex Lowe's and, and Michael Vandermark are you know, the reigning champions this year. Um, as well as in the past, their full on Moto GP satellite team. That was polar Bagaro and Bradley Smith. Had gone down there and taken part. Kyle Crutchlow showing interest in it. Takanakagami is here this year. Um, you know, even Suzuki are now sending guys like Sylvain Gintoli, who is a, a real loyal stallion of the factory, as a test rider for them at this point. Um, you know, as, as well as you know Bradley Ray, who's you know one of the young upstarts of their factory projects as well. So it's it's in the last four or five years it's exploded in terms of popularity again, and just seeing. Riders, not only like 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 the very very best of the best, or have even shown. I remember Valentino Rossi talking about it last year, saying if the dates matched up, he wouldn't mind having a go. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so yeah, like it, it's 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 shot back up in popularity again the last four or five years, and it's wonderful to see all these guys that are making the effort to come down and give it a crack and but turn this into again. Like I said, I think I've, I've put it before. It's, it's very American sports. It's very much like an all-star game where you're seeing some of the very best from all three major, you know, world and domestic biking series, come down, have a go and race against each other in scenarios you wouldn't normally see um, in any other form of motorsport series. And it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it's fantastic.
0: It is wonderful. It and is we're going to uh, go yeah. into um, some of the key teams to look out for um, right about now as we uh, look ahead to this race. Um there are a number of factories represented, but it's it's likely uh, when we look at the entry list that the winner is going to come from one of four factories, um, all of which are um, Japanese. There are other factories taking part, like BMW have, have bikes out in this race um, as well. Um, there is a Ducati Panigale, a 2016 spec uh, Ducati Panigale for the banner racing team, the number 82, uh, running three Japanese riders, but they are unlikely to figure towards the front. Um A lot of these teams um, with Japanese backing are running full factory 2018 kit. Um, So they are going to be up towards the front. Um, And we'll start with the Suzuki team. Um, The likeliest Suzuki running up the front is going to be the Yoshimura Suzuki racing team, um, who finished very close to the front of the years. Alex Lowe's helped them to a podium um, back in 2015 as well, the year the 21 Yamaha took its first win. Um, and when we go through their team, Dre, uh, Takuya Suda, who is a trusted Suzuki test rider, makes up one third of their team. Um, but the great interest for us comes in their other two riders. Bradley Ray, who we've covered earlier on in this show, has um, won races for them um, in the British Championship earlier in the season. And Sylvain Gintoli, a world champion in his own right back in 2014. Um, Yoshimura Suzuki, they have knocked on the door in recent years of, of winning this race, but the Yamaha has just proved too strong for them. But, They've certainly got a strong rider lineup this time. When Sylvain Gatoli is their lead rider, a world champion, we know they're taking this seriously.
1: Absolutely. They, they again. This is a this is almost as as big a lineup as Suzuki could possibly roll out. Anyway, it'd be bigger as if they were rolling out any of their Moto G. Yeah, it Rins. And Ianoni's probably too busy modelling for that anyway. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. The way it's going right now. Yeah, well, that's about as stacked a team as you could possibly get for Suzuki, given the resources available to them. Gintoli, as mentioned, a former world champion of the Honda team, but also a guy that's been a very loyal test rider for some time. He's done wildcard appearances um, in MotoGP this season, as recently as Catalunya, He was a wildcard out there for the Suzuki factory. I know they um, I know they struggled a little bit, but they were still out there riding and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, Bradley Ray is again has turned into a real you know top tier level prospect in, in in the British domestic series, and you know he was you know, he again was really up there towards the end of last season. Ginters even won a BSB race at Assen last year, which I'm still very happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a fantastic team. Uh, I'm probably going to be saying that a lot in the next 20 minutes, so bear with me on this. But yeah, yeah they've knocked on the door on several occasions. Again, they I, I think they've probably got a taste. For that now, um, with with coming so close, and now they're going to bring down an, an uber talented team of Ray and Ginters, who's again a very solid all round rider. So, yeah, a lot to be excited about, and um, yeah, a team that again very much will be a top contender for the win. You'd think,
0: mm, absolutely. Uh, they uh, they ran strongly last year as well. Um, did, uh, did the Suzuki team, the Oshibura team, they were up on the uh, in the podium battle last year um, as well. Um, in terms of the uh, the Honda output, and you know, it's amazing that we're talking about Honda this early, third, second of the four uh, key factories, but they they probably are third favourites at best, I suppose, this year, Dre. I mean, when we look at the teams they've got, they've, there are two um, full factory Honda efforts um, in in this in this uh, race this year. There is Team HRC, which is running with some Red Bull backing the number 33. Their team initially was Takubi Takahashi, Takaki Nakagami, MotoGP rider, of course, the only MotoGP rider in this race, the only MotoGP race rider in this race, um, and Leon Kamiya, of course, their lead uh, World Superbike rider. Now, he, of course, injured himself in testing for this race and has been replaced by another Hi. World Superbike Honda rider in PJ Jacobson. Um, and when we look at the 634 team, uh, the Mushashi Hart Pro team, H-A-R-C, um, which is um, Honda Active Riders Club, um, if you're wondering what the uh, HARC stands for. Uh, they've got Rio Mazuno, who's a test rider for Honda, Dominique Agata, of course, of Moto2, and Randy Depunier, former uh, Grand Prix rider and World Superbike rider, um, who's been a, quite a regular in the Jones racing since he left World Superbikes. Um, both strong teams, and it's Honda, around a circuit that Honda own, for goodness sake, so you can't ru- rule them out. But Absolutely not. with all due respect to them, their teams probably lack
1: the ultimate star power of their key rivals. They probably do. I mean, I'm not sure what Saka's what going to bring to the table. And, you know, it's it's not it's not got the firepower that other factories do in the field. Either factory team for Honda. And again, the, the fact they've got two efforts might actually be um, more counterproductive And he's actually probably a little bit better in this format compared to Moto Two, where it's it's so competitive. You you it can sometimes make you look a little bit worse than you actually are. Um, So for me, where I'm sitting, I I think Honda have got good teams, and you know again home field advantage certainly going to help, given they own the track and all that. But I, I I think it just lacks that ultimate star gunner at the front that's going to you know really pump in the really good lap times if he gets if he gets it going. So. Yeah, for me, where I'm sitting right now, I don't think Honda's quite got the legs for it. But again, I'm I'm eager to see them try.
0: Yeah, in testing or in practice that took place, today's record is recording this on Thursday, the 26th of July. Um, the 634 um, was third quickest in the assistance of De Punier. Um, you'll probably be able to guess which two bikes were ahead of them. The two we're about to talk about. Um, and the, uh, the number 33, the Red Bull um, HRC Honda uh, entry, um, with jacobson on board was 10th quickest um so um and top 10 by the way do go into a one-on a one-on sort of one-lap shootout for pole position on saturday evening uh, in japan yeah. um which um which we'll uh, be keeping a close eye on uh, so the hondas do look as if they are training a little bit um at the moment um there are a number of other honda backed entries we'll pick out some of the key ones for you um in a little bit um But onto the two-bike straight, I think we're probably expecting to dispute the win between them um, this weekend. Um, And Kawasaki have only won this race once in its entire history. Only one Suzuka 8-hour win um, for Kawasaki, which um, gives you uh, an insight into just how badly um, they'll probably want to win this this year. Um, And... If it wasn't clear already just how much um, the uh, <laughs> the Kawasaki team or the Kawasaki factory wanted to win this race, the fact that they've called upon the greatest rider in superbike history to try and win it for them um, kind of makes it clear, doesn't it? I mean, when you go back through history, 1993 was the one time Kawasaki won the Suzuki Tower, And on that occasion, they had two world superbike greats. Um, on board for them, in mean, Scott Russell and Aaron Slight. This year, Jonathan Ray has been rolled out.
1: um They've pushed the emergency, like uh, in, in in case of emergency, break glass, ray-shaped button in the back office of Kawasaki. um Jesus, um, like they came close last year, and Leon Haslam had a superhuman effort. Um so, you know, to even bring him into contention, having to race for over five of the eight hours last year, if I remember correctly. And now they've called upon, as I mentioned, the probably the greatest superbike rider in history in Jonathan Ray. What a team that is. My god, if, if Ray could get to grips with Suzuka quickly, that's got more firepower than any team in the field. We know Haslib as a proven commodity is outstanding round here, and you know he, he will put in superhuman shifts to try and win it. Um I have no doubt about that. Um if Jonathan Ray can get to Gibson Suzuki Suzuka quick look out they're the favorites for me and again they've been very fast in testing as well and in, in practice. The Kawasaki's look like the team to beat at the moment and it's hardly surprising given they have Haslam and Ray in tow.
0: Yeah. Uh, Leon Haslam as Dre mentioned is we I mean, yeah we we, we understandably focus on Ray when talking about the uh, the team green Kawasaki as it's called for this year. Uh, this is a great hour. But his teammates are Leon Haslam, who is a world-class rider, as we've already discussed in terms of his his move to World for next year, and uh, Kazumi Watanabe is the is the third rider for Team Green, who knows his way around Suzuka and has ridden for Team Green in the 8-hour in previous years as well. Um, you know he's essentially designated as their their lead rider, essentially for this race, uh, with Haslam and Ray as his teammates, given that Watanabe knows this race and knows this circuit like the back of his hand. Um, so. Yeah, what a formidable team they have um, for the 8th hour this season. And in practice on Thursday, Team Green were fastest, with Watanabe setting their fastest time at 2.072. Mm -hmm. Half second clear of the bike we're about to discuss, Um, the bike that's won this race uh, for the last three years. Um, I mean, we'll we'll get on to predictions in a minute, Dre. You've kind of already answered this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, Yamaha on that number 21 have won this race for the last three years and have kept the team that's won the last two of them intact for this year. And in many people's eyes, we'll start this race as favourites. But does the fact that Jonathan Ray is involved for Kawasaki tilt the balance their way?
1: I've learned to stop underestimating what Jonathan Ray can do on a motorcycle. I've stopped doing that for the last couple of years now. Um, it's served me well in terms of predictions. Um, <laughs> but that 21 crew is formidable. Um, and like they have a proven track record. They have a ton of experience now. They've been here before. They are capable of winning. Of course they are. And they know exactly how to win. And Yamaha have done that very, very well in the last few years. And the R1 is a, is a hell of a motorcycle. I've said this for quite some time. It's an incredibly versatile, easy-to-ride machine. And I know guys like Bradley Smith, who's raced down there in the past, has commented about how user-friendly the R1 is and how comfortable it can be to ride around. So I can easily see how, you know, if, if somebody said to me, I think Yamaha's going to win again wouldn't argue with. um but um that kawasaki team is riding so well it's 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 hard not to you know make them favorites right now but the 21 crew you know they, they they've they've won the last three of these for good reason it's an it's an incredible team and they're going to take some beating
0: mm-hmm. they are it's it's, it's gonna be fascinating to watch the 21 yamaha just to confirm um is katsuki nakasuga who has won uh, or has been a third of the winning team in each of the last three years, because he's the ever-present for the uh, factory Yamaha team on that 21 bike um, in the eight-hour from the, all of its visits since they returned to this race with the aim of winning it three years ago. Um, and his teammates, Michael van der and Alex Lowe's, the two riders who have both won World Superbike races this year, um, earlier this year, breaking their ducks, and have both signed up to stay with the Yamaha factory World Superbike team into 2019. Um, and... I guess what we can say about this team, Dre, which we can't really say about any of the other teams we've discussed, because all of them are slightly different from previous years, is that they all know what the 8-hour is all about. Vandermark had won it before even... You know, he'd won it twice before he even joined Yamaha. He's a, he's a three-time winner, Michael Vandermark, yeah. Twice with Honda, once with Yamaha. Um, but this team is now racing together the three of them for the second year in a row. Um, and as Leon Haslam showed last season... In an eight-hour race, sometimes you have to do things that you weren't expected to do. Um, You know, sometimes strategies change. Eight hours is a lot of time for things to go wrong in a race. Absolutely. Um, But when we look at this twenty-one Yamaha, and it's each of its last three years where it's won this race, I can't pinpoint a single moment across that twenty-four hours of racing in three years that anything has gone wrong with that twenty-one.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a technically flawless bike in that sense. And and. That's half. The, like that's ninety percent of the battle. If you can keep your nose clean and not have any technical problems, you are gonna have a very good chance of winning that race right off the get go, regardless of how fast you are. You know, if if you're reliable, that's that's that. That's, it's an endurance race at the end of the day. That's the whole idea. So, you know, if you could run the eight hours without a technical problem, you're gonna be in contention because bigger teams, faster teams will take chances. They'll gamble guys. They're going to crash. It's an eight hour race. You know, it goes from light to dark in Japan very quickly. It's, 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 it's Suzuka is a very dangerous technical circuit in that sense. So yeah, there's a lot that could go wrong here. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you could, if you get, if you could just keep it clean for eight hours, you'll, you'll be able to chance for sure. So yeah, why? Why not? Like again, like just, again, the way that the way that they've been, yeah, you know, well, the Twenty One crew, especially with, with practically no technical hiccups for three years, no wonder they've won because that's such an important part of the race.
0: Yeah, I have to say I am I'm, I'm going to pick 21, uh, Twenty One this year. I just think their their experience will see them through. I mean, the, the 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 Team Green lineup is not exactly inexperienced, and to, it's a point worth making. We haven't made it yet. Jonathan Ray himself has won the Suzuka Eight Hour before. Of um, course, he had been a trusted, loyal servant to Honda for so many years. Um, and he did race with the FCC TSR Honda team in 2012 uh, alongside Taddy Cardo and Kazuki Akiyoshi. And he, won, he was part of this trio that won the race that year. Um, so Jonathan Ray has won an 8-hour himself, as lastly Leon Haslam, also during his time with Honda. Um, but Kawasaki have only won it once. Um, and as I mentioned, that was uh, all the way back in 1993. Um, with Scott Russell and on the slide. But when I give you some of the uh, names that won this race, it just gives you an idea of the prestige of this race and just how serious it is. Because this race has been going on uh, for a number of years, uh, all the way back to 1978. 27 um, of the, what, 39... 29, uh, 27 of the 40 races have been won by Honda. Um, uh, and that includes uh, their victory uh, back in 1985, which included Wayne Gardner on board. He then won it again in 1986. Um, for Team HRC Eddie Lawson was part of the winning team for Yamaha in 1990 Um, Wayne Gardner and Mick Doohan were the dream team for Honda in 1991 that won the race Um, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned Scott Russell and Alan Slight for Kawasaki in 1993 Um, in 2001 Team Cabin Honda won it with two blokes called Edwards and Rossi as their riders Uh, Mm. wonder what they went on to achieve Um, Yeah, Valentino and Colin Edwards as their two riders in 2001 when they won the race um, Dejiro Kato, uh, the late Dejiro Kato, he won the race um, in, two- in 2002 with Edwards for Honda as well. Uh, Kiyanari, we'll to mention him in a second. He's racing this year. He won it uh, with Toru Okawa in 2005. Uh, Yuichi Kiyanari also won it with Carlos checker in two thousand and eight for Honda. Last Suzuki win came in 2009. It was the Yoshimura team uh, with Nobi Aoki as one of their three riders. Um, in 2010, Takaki Kagami was part of the winning trio alongside Kianari and Takumi Tuk- Takahashi. Jonathan Ray won it in 2012 as part of the TSR Honda team. The Mushashi Hart Pro team has won it uh, in 2013 and its last win in 2014 when their riders were Takumi Takahashi, Michael Vandermark and Leon Haslam. Uh, and as I mentioned, Yamaha's 21, their Yamaha factory racing team R1, has won it in each of the last three years. Uh, in 2015, Nakasuga was joined by Bradley Smith and Paul Espargaro. Spargo stayed on for 2016 and was joined by Alex Lowe's. And last year, they won it with Nakasuga, Lowe's and Michael Vandermark. Just when, just that, that reads like a who's who of great motorcycle racers that have won this race. Who will add their name to it this year? Um, there are plenty of other teams in the field um, for this is a great hour this year. It is such a huge event um, in motorcycle racing. All told, 64 teams were entered um, as of um, tw- the 21st of July earlier this week when the provisional entry list for the week was published. Um, 53 of them uh, as uh, EWC as in the, the Endurance World Championship official entries and then 11 uh, registered as SST um, which uh, I'm going to make a slight guess stands for something along the lines of Suzuka special teams uh, based on which the which teams these are um, for instance the, uh, the 21 Yamaha is among those there are a number of teams that are entered at this event only um, but when I take you to some of the other teams for instance some of the teams that you have to keep an eye on Um, we've mentioned the Honda teams. Uh, Team Kageyama, who uh, often race at this event. Um, They're another uh, regular Suzuka 8-hour team. Yukio Kageyama, predictably, is one of their riders. Uh, Naomichi Uremoto is another of them. And keeping up the uh, Grand Prix influence in this race, Moto2's Joe Roberts um, completes their lineup on the number 71 um, for Team Kageyama. Um, Elsewhere, um, further down the field, we have British Superbike Influence, Um, With the 135, the BMW Financial Services 135 team, Shinya Takeshi is their Japanese rider. Um, He is partnered by the Taiko BMW duo of Michael Laverty and Christian Eden um, on their bikes. Um, we have uh, Carol Haneke once of uh, Moto3 and World Superbikes earlier this year he's racing for the Mercury Racing Team on the 1-2-1 alongside current BSB rider Sylvain Barrier and current World Superbike rider André Jezek uh, current World Superbike rider Yoni Hernandez is racing for the Honda Endurance Racing Team and that's a regular Endurance World Championship team uh, their other riders are Sebastian Jimbert and Erwan Nigan of France um, so many other teams to mention Tommy Bridewell is in action this year for the S-Pulse Dream Racing Team he's going to be on the number 95 um, so, keep an eye out for him. Um, so many other teams worth keeping an eye out. Peter Hickman for Team NRT 48, another BSB rider in action alongside Kenny Foray and Julian Da Costa. Um, but there are also um, this year the current um, regular Endurance World Championship runners because this is the final round of the Endurance World Championship. Um, with, of course, the title Peter decided last year it was won by the Yamaha GMT 94 They are in the running to win it again this season. Um, and with the uh, points uh, system, as it works out for the Suzuka great Hour, um, with 38 points handed out for the winners, um, technically, we do have uh, three teams still in the running to win this championship. Um, with uh, the FCC TSR Honda team leading it on 146 points, um, ahead of GMT-94 Yamaha 136, and the Honda endurance racing team on 109, so they are only just um, in contention but they need to win the race unlikely they're going to do so um, but let's run you through their lineups for this uh, this week's event FCC TSR, Honda they are a Japanese backed team um, but surprisingly they don't have any Japanese riders in their lineup they have Josh Hook who's an Australian who has raced at the eight hours before um, and two Frenchmen alongside him Alain Tescher former Moto3 rider and Freddy Foray who is another experienced rider um, in the field uh, Yamaha GMT 94, who of course are trying to retain their title. They have pretty much the same lineup that won it for them last year. Mike Domeglio, former 125 champion. Nicolo Canepa and David Checker, brother of Carlos Checker, of course, one World Superbike champion um, in their team. And we've already told you about the Honda Endurance Racing team um, that are in action this weekend um, as well. They brought Yoni Hernandez in uh, for this weekend. If we were to make one slight point, Dre, and again, we hate to be negative. Um, but we, we can kind of see what the Endurance World Championship has tried to do. Uh, it's kind of what the uh, Endurance World Championship on four wheels has done with their super season in making their blue ribbon race the finale to the season as the uh, Lamont 24 Hours will be next year but the end of the super season um, to crown the super season champions. Um, and this year, obviously for the last few years, that's what the Endurance World Championship on two wheels has done. Um, but... As it kind of had the opposite effect in that the actual finale to the championship and the champions being crowned on Sunday night will kind of end up taking a back seat to the eventual winners of the race.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels that way. And it's 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 a shame really because with this race, the regular World Endurance Championship contenders are now most likely going to be be scoring only minor points in a silly in a super season format where the last round carries the most points it doesn't help where that's concerned and it I, I actually kind of feel bad because they're not going to fully benefit from the system because the, the, the new entries are most likely going to try and go for the win of course they mm. are and they have and... more factory spec equipment on board than
0: it's... the actual world championship teams have
1: exactly so it's I feel bad for them because they're not going to take full, full advantage of this, of this, you know, this bigger point system for the final round. And because they're fighting for minor points, it's not going to make as big a difference in the championship fight. So yeah, it, it kind of almost makes the last round a little bit more redundant. I don't like to describe the eight hours like that, but yeah, it's, it is a problem. It's, it's, it's not helpful. It's not ideal for the championship to be that way. they, if that's how they're going to treat the eight hours, they should make any new entry exempt from scoring championship points for the final round. Hmm. That way, you could you could still have the regular contenders fight for the big points while ignoring the wildcard entries that want to win this highly prestigious, you know, one-off all-star sort of event. Um, because the way it is right now, it's a little bit unfair towards the regulars who were taking part in all the other events that year. And not these um, the big factories that, they, that are treating this as a showcase event that it is. Mm,
0: yeah, I, I misspoke earlier when I gave you the figure. It's thirty five points, not thirty eight, on on uh, on offer for the winners of this race which means it is a straight fight this weekend for the title between GMT-94, the reigning champions, and FCC TSR Honda. But with the FCC TSR Honda squad having a 10-point lead, um, that's actually a bigger lead than it sounds. It doesn't sound like a big lead with 35 points for the winner, but these teams are unlikely to be scoring particularly big points, as strays mentioned. So that 10-point lead might already be enough um, for the FCC TSR Honda to win the championship this weekend. I mean... All they'd have to do, essentially, we were talking about this off-air before we started, um, when you look at the point system as it is, if that FCC and Honda squad finish in the top 10 and get 11 points for 10th, that means that the GNT 94 team would have to finish on the outright podium this weekend to beat them to the title. they uh, that's going, unlikely! Which they're not going to do. Um, and... To be fair, to GMT 94, they finished, I think they finished sort of 8th or 9th last year and won the championship and they had their celebration. It was a weekend of celebration for Yamaha given that they won the outright race with their factory number 21 and their 94 uh, team in the regular championship took the title. So everyone won if you were Yamaha. Um, but it's probably going to take a back seat this weekend outright to the race itself. Um, but we will update you next week on uh, on who indeed does win the championship as well as the, uh, the main story which will be The race itself. Suzuki 8 Hour takes place in the early hours of Sunday morning. Uh, Make sure you do watch some of it. I know it's a very, very difficult time if you're based in Europe or based in the UK. And even so, if you're based in America, it's going to be taking place just as you're going to bed. Uh, it's going to be sort of starting at roughly sort of ten eleven o'clock at night in the United States, and then running until sort of six seven in the morning. So it's not an ideal time um, for most of us that are either either participating or listening to this podcast. Um, but whatever happens, we'll break it down next week. And uh, it it is one of the great races in in motorsport, particularly on two wheels. So it is well worth watching uh, at least some of it and getting an idea of what it is. And uh, I've said it before on this show that sight of uh, the race coming to a close at near enough dusk um in suzuka with all all of the uh with the pack grandstands because it is an absolute sellout at suzuka for the eight hour um Mm -hmm. and just the the spectacle they make of it at the end of the race is a special special spectacle for motorcycle sport um so do try and watch it it is going to be a brilliant event and it should be an absolutely titanic battle particularly between um the star-studded squads from yamaha and kawasaki this weekend Uh, Whatever happens, as I mentioned, we'll break it down next week on uh, episode 71 uh, of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101. We'll have a full review of the Suzuki Tower, and we'll look ahead um, to the uh, Thruxton BSB round and the Czech MotoGP, which one of us two might well be going to um, next weekend. Um, So uh, we'll get the last words from Dre before he heads over to the Czech Republic to watch the race himself from trackside. And before all that as well, he's got another podcast to record and that is episode 153. Uh, i motorsport on 101 um hopefully this won't be a little bit cathartic for him because he won't have to t- well hopefully it will be cathartic because surely this is a race if history is any indicator dre that sebastian bettel's bound to win
1: <laughs> i don't know anymore man like i don't know okay <laughs> yeah. um yep yeah, it's the hungarian Grand prix i know it's easy for me to say it as a non-bettle fan but i think he'll win this weekend he's the bookies favorite it suits the one to win this weekend i don't know where they got that idea but it's honestly this is the first weekend where i feel that legitimately any one of the top six can win um like red this is a track where red bull tend to go very well around they're not going to lose as much time on the straights as they have on other circuits circuit Mark, only won there's once a re- there in the hybrid era the in, indeed um yeah, that was daniel ricardo in 2014 and that was a race that was no. affected by lewis hamilton the no, Mercedes, Mercedes in the hybrid era. And that was
0: that was that was, that was uh, 15 with hamilton
1: yeah 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 exactly so it's an unpredictable track and you know there's a chance of rain this weekend as well um so yeah there's all sorts of potential shenanigans You've that could be going out here. Uh, <sighs> <sighs> even, even, even
0: forgetting what happened last weekend when you when you're the f- a fan i'd take it from me from back in 2009 when jensen button was going for the title when you're you, when you're a fan of the driver who's in theory got the best car and has got the best chance of winning the championship the
1: last thing you want is a wet race. Nothing to upset the form book, please yeah. and thank you. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, I, th- I think that it could go any to any one of the top six this weekend. I think it's going to be very close. Um, on paper, I think Vettel is is the fair favourite, but it would not surprise me if Daniel Ricciardo or Max Verstappen came through this weekend at all. I think I think Red Bull have the potential to be very strong here. And Lewis Hamilton's won here I think five times now, so like he loves it here. He loves the Hungary, and He's always got. Here, so yeah, like I, I think, I think there's a lot to, to potentially stand here for. I guess this could, this could be the closest race of the season so far. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And whatever happens, we'll review it on episode 153 of Motorsport 101 with me, King and RJ. Whatever happens, um, as well as I believe IndyCar back this weekend yeah, that Mid Ohio right. as well. Yeah. Um, there in Mid Ohio, and yeah, it's 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 Dixieland with that might be a problem for the for the championship where that's concerned, given that Scott Dixon has won. Five times in the past um it, 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 it could be a problem just throwing that out there but uh yeah indycar in ohio and the hungarian will will cover the with a, with a full review of both races on episode 153 of motorsport 101 around this time next week
0: mm-hmm. yeah as well as episode 71 of bike labs eventually we'll break down the suzuka 8 tower will it be will suzuka be turned green for the team green and kawasaki or will yamaha do it again or can honda reclaim their own circuit having not won there? for four years um, we shall see next week we will review it all here on bike life on spot but that was episode 70 um, a weekend dominated by moustache mountain Josh Brooks taking the victory and kissing that moustache goodbye we will see you next week